Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Technology Innovation, part of the Maintenance Disrupted podcast series where we set out to find the people and technology fueling Industry 4.0. This week's guest I had stumbled upon in my endless scrolling through LinkedIn. The title of this person's article was Rant, You Can Collect Too Much Data. As someone in AI and IoT, I could have not disagreed more with this person. I set out to prove this person wrong until I watched a short two-minute video where I found out I was actually wrong. You can collect too much data, and there is consideration you need to have when you're collecting this data and what you're going to do with this data, particularly as it gets into your historian or data lake or wherever you're going to store this data. This week, I welcome the Time Series data storyteller himself, Jim Gavigan, to the show to discuss all things data, how to store it, what to do with it, and probably most importantly, what not to do with it. Well, before we get into this week's podcast, a quick note from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, Star West Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our costs and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Philips 66 lubricants, Kindall Performance Motor Oils, Philips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel, heating and furnace oil, but really, it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. This is the Technology Innovation Series, and today with me, I have Jim Gavigan also known as the Time Series Data Storyteller, which I love this. I love that title, Jim. Jim, thanks for coming on the, the podcast with me. Hey, no problem. Appreciate you inviting me. So Jim, you're from a company called Industrial Insight. It's actually your company. And uh, just for the audience, I'll give you a brief introduction how I came across Jim. Um, so um, having co-founded an artificial intelligence company, I'm kind of knee deep into, into data. And I went around uh, for a number of years preaching about the importance of data and you know data storage becoming cheaper and cheaper and why not collect data that was my challenge is like hey it's really cheap to do it why not collect data and that's really the the challenge i put out to a lot of people stop throwing out data just collect it as fast as you can just just have the data there and then i came across an article on linkedin led to actually a video uh which was uh, you actually labeled it rant you can collect too much data and i thought huh well, here's another person I have to go tell that are wrong. And I uh, watched the video and, <laughs> and it turns out I was absolutely wrong and you were absolutely correct. So I said, okay, I got to get in touch with Jim. So Jim and I talked back and forth and Jim agreed to be on the podcast. So uh, I, you know, this, I think this topic is going to be really interesting for our listeners specifically as everyone's trying to get into the digital space, right? And you can't have digital without data, okay. right? And, and everyone's trying to struggle with well, how much data do we collect? Where do we store it? All that kind of stuff. So I think this is a very uh, important uh, discussion in, in 2021. So Jim, just for the audience, why don't you give a little overview of yourself and industrial insight? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll try to do cliff notes. Um, you know, my background, actually, I started out as a vibration analyst, believe it or oh, not. Oh, I did not know that. It's surprising. Okay. Yeah, this I'm is actually, just surprising, but that's, I'm that's actually, great. I'm actually a level one certified vibration analyst. Good for you. So, so the thing is, I, I still remember, you know, what varying frequencies are and, you know, multiples of turning frequency and how the spectrum looks and all that. So, you know, I, I can get into some discussions. A lot of people can't. Um, and then I, then I kind of get dumb after that because there's, there's people that really know that space. Yeah. 
but then I got into controls, um, did a lot of controls engineering, you know, all different kinds of plants. Um, actually cut my teeth on Modicom PLCs, Magnatech mm -hmm. drives. And I worked for Rockwell Automation for a while, um, got out of doing the technical work and became, got into sales. Mm -hmm. um, so that way I didn't have to work, you know, lots of weekends and every holiday. Right, exactly. That was nice. And, you know, you kind of learn, you can't just go do the data dump to people like, here's everything they need to know about our control logics processor. processor. Now, don't you want to buy a hundred? <laughs> right. Jim, I can't use that. And you're like, well, wait, what do you mean? I'm an engineer. You're an engineer. You're supposed to buy a hundred of them from me now because I told you all the specs. Um, so I kind of learned, you know, the commercial aspect of, of the business. And then I became a technical consultant for a while for them, kind of on the high tech products. Um, did some interesting stuff there. Um, and then um, that's actually where my, I really first got introduced to Pi. I, I did some troubleshooting on a boiler blow up for a major company. And, the forensic um, side of data analytics. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, can't, can't really go into a lot of it. Um, I don't think it's public domain, but it, it was interesting. And then um, ended up getting recruited by a system integrator out of Memphis uh, called Logical Systems. Uh, worked for them for five or six years. And that, that was really where I got into Pi and like what it could do. Same company, ironically enough, we were doing some work for them and, and uh, we solved a problem we had been fighting for over a year that helped them land a new customer that doubled their business and they had to buy a whole new plant or build a whole new plant. And they said, you guys are going to help us. We're not even going to bid it out. And I said, you know, there's something to this data thing. And I even called it that, this data thing. Data thing, yep. You know, I mean, it just made two companies millions of dollars or something to this. And, um, you know, we never really did a whole lot with it. And then OSI self-recruited me in uh, 13. Mm -hmm. Worked for them for a couple of years. Um, you know, for reasons I can't really go a whole lot into. Um, I had to leave. And, um, you know, just disagreement with who I worked for. Yep. And, um, you know, just different philosophies, honestly. And, um, you know, me, I'm, I'm a very principled person. I was like, it doesn't really matter how much money you pay me or, you know, what success I have. It's not worth my reputation, you know, sure. and, and, and this is not really who I am. And um, so I, I left, um, went back to LSI, started their pie practice, and then, you know, kind of realized I'm helping build somebody else's dream. I really need to go build mine and decided well over four years ago to start Industrial Insight. So really what we try to do is help people get more proactive with the data. You know, we, we right now we're heavily focused on Pi, but you know, I suspect as this market evolves, it'll be into other things as well. We've looked at some other solutions. We'll probably get into some other things this year. Um, we do a lot with Power BI and Tableau. We've dabbled with uh, multivariate analysis and machine learning. And so, you know, I can pontificate on a lot of that. Um, right some definite opinions on that probably some other ones um matter of fact that we we have a multivariate analysis video that we've shot we just haven't um put it together but i actually, to. actually go through a whole model and like how we built it and what we learned what we didn't learn and and where the gaps were um right. so um there's four of us um do a lot of work for a lot of big companies paper chemicals transportation um, looks like we're going to get into small, more oil and gas this year. So typical pie users all there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Typical pie users. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, but really and, we want, we want people to get proactive and, and really, you know, use the data. So, right. And, and, and I guess just for our listeners, just in case you don't know, when we say pie, it's, it's, it's OSI soft, it's OSI pie, the kind of the world leader and historians, you know, next ones would be like IP21 and things like that. So we're talking about data historians here, um, which you know have, have been around for for decades and decades and decades, right? Um, storing storing our data, often you know storing it for the purpose of forensics. So if something happened, we had the the ability to go back in time and say, hey, what happened, yeah. right? Not too often were we using data for anything in the in the future, or the now or the future, right? And I think that's where you know you're trying to to move Absolutely. things forward. Right. And, and I'm curious, so, you know, this is news to me and I'm, I'm great. You bring that experience of, you know, vibration analysis, um, you know, with Rockwell and, and then working with system integrators, because you would have seen a lot of these data, data silos. Where, where do you see the use of, uh, you know, an OSI Pi or historian um, for maintenance and reliability? Gosh, it's a treasure trove. Um you know, not, uh, remind me to kind of talk about some conversations I'm having with, um, you know, some of the 
like a guy like Chris Klosterman, you know, we were talking about it off camera, mm -hmm. you know, he used to work for Allied and, and John Schultz, who also was, was, you know, one of the founders of Allied. Um, you know, really, this is a treasure trove of information. And often the, the problem is we, you know, we have a customer right now, they're all about, we want to do condition-based maintenance. Mm -hmm. If I go look, you know, let's say they have 500 pumps in their plant, you know, for 450 of them, all I know is that they're running. That's right. They're on or off, right? You know, and, and I'm like, well, even to get to the pump curve, you know, I need, you know, suction, discharge, pressure, and horsepower. You know, that, then we can kind of figure out where it's at on the curve and if it's operating right, you know. Right. And, and so, you know, we often don't know that. They, they have a, a compressor at their site that's thousands upon thousands of dollars to rebuild, which they do about every 18 months based on the SAP data they gave me. And could cost them a day or two of downtime if, you know, that particular product that it makes, they don't have enough of it right. you know, on site. So, you know, they're like, hey, we want to do condition-based maintenance on this. I'm like, okay, great. This is, what, this is awesome. I get to the outboard bearing temperature on the motor and it's read 500 degrees for the last five years. Flat just, line. Just 500 right on the nose. 500 on the, on the button. It's and amazing. Can very yeah, consistent temperature control. It's a good yeah, PID loop they got there. Yeah. You're, you're like, okay, 500 degrees. That's probably a problem. You know, and then I go look at the inboard bearing temperature. And I, I think when I first configured, it's probably like around this time, you know, of the year it's, it's in the South. So it's not terribly, terribly cold, you know, but I went and look, I'm sitting here looking at it. It wasn't running and it, and it's running like, you know, 30 to 50 degrees. Right. And so I look at the weather forecast for that area. That's about what it was. So I'm like, okay, this thing kind of sits outside. It's not in a controlled environment. And uh, I said, you know, it got me thinking like, well, okay. And then I saw it actually running and, you know, the bearing might've been running 130, 140 degrees. I'm like, well, 130 or 140 degrees in January might be very different than 130 or 140 degrees when it's July and it's already hundred degrees outside. The Delta T is going to be the problem. That's right. We don't have weather data. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know that. Like, what is the Delta T on ambient? I don't know. And, and so, you know, you have this treasure trove potentially of information, but what we often find is they don't have the instrumentation. The instrumentation is not maintained or we don't have all the information that we want. And so everybody's like, yeah, that's what we want to do. And they're so far from that. And then we're like, okay, well, here's a plan, you know, and, and, and like for them, we go look and, and be, me being an ex-controls person, you know, I'm, I'm kind of digging into their PLC architecture a little bit. I'm like, okay, you have a legacy PLC system, an analog input card's probably $2,000. Right. You probably don't have rack space. You got to run the conduit to get the sensor back to the card. Well, we found some devices that are under a thousand bucks that you could wire up eight inputs on it, run it wirelessly or wired back to the Pi system. Bypass the control system because you don't need it for control. It's just for monitoring. It's just for monitoring. Yep. I'm like, we can drop these everywhere. No problem. Have they done it? No. Right. And and so so you have this treasure trove that everybody gets all excited until they find out, oh, it's going to be work to actually do this and get yeah, right. You have to go mine that data, right? And I think that's well, you have why... to go get the data first. You don't even have that's it. true, true, right? Yeah. Right. You know, what are you going to do? Have a guy, you know, walk around, write, on, write down on clipboard? You know? Right. I mean, and, and, you know, that can, we'll, we'll get to this later, but that brings up a good point. So you start to add, say you add that bearing temperature to it and, you know, to bring that or, or you know, the, the environmental temperature data or something like that. Yeah. You know, it, it's a challenge because then if you look at data coming into a PLC system, you know, you're talking latency of minutes or seconds. You get into super like shut seconds. Yeah, um, I guess yeah, like um, safety instrument systems and stuff would be a lot quicker, right? Um, and and you know, you move to wirelessly, it's probably not effective to do it at the minute interval. It, it could be depending on the battery environments like that. But then you start to move to, you know, is is updating every ten minutes okay? Can I still no, compare this? Typically, most you know, and, and here's the reason: like the literally the the video that you watched came out of a service that. Um, the guy that helps me out, there's a guy named Dave Griffith that helps me with marketing. And, you know, he comes from an automation background as well. And I was showing him some things we were doing with, there, there's a, a tool out there from a company called Pattern Discovery called Compression Insight. And what it does is it allows us to go in and look at the tuning parameters 
on the compression exception of the PI data itself on a sensor by sensor basis, on a tag by tag basis. So we have a visual indication of here's what's coming in raw, here's what you're actually storing, and, and here's what the algorithm recommends. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not because okay. of the nature of signals, right? So, so actually the video you saw was the result of, some of, the, of one of those data fidelity studies. And that was a chemical plant that was storing data every half a second. And it was so noisy, you couldn't do anything with it. It, it was just, it was awful. Just had a customer last month Call, call me up and say, um, we found out our data, our data archive machine, the hard drive was about to be full. We were about to lose data. And it turned out that they had their Pi data historian on there, their backups and their backups of backups all right. on the same machine. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, what, but then we get into this discussion and you go look and, and they're storing data every, every one second. And then one of the data fidelity studies I did, pretty much everything except for one plant was being stored at one minute. And this was back to something you, you kind of talked about off camera where, you know, okay, the temperature one time was 50 degrees and then the next rating was 60. So you're gonna have to interpolate between them. So halfway in that time interval, oh, it was 55. Was it? Probably not. We don't know what it did. And so what, what we kind of tried to do is, is, is look at, how fast they're storing data, collecting data, and try to give them some reasonable recommendations. And, and normally what we see, you know, it, depending on the signal is, you know, maybe a valve on off valve, maybe one second, right? And we do it on advice, we don't pull it. You know, oh, maybe- And when you say it by advice, that's like a, a status change, it'll- Yeah, on a status change. Right. Yeah, so that way I'm not saying, hey, valve, are you open? Nope, hey, valve, are you open? Hey, right. valve, are you open? You know, every, every second, right? Um, you know, and then, you know, some tags, you know, like flow temperature, like temperature probably doesn't change very much, very yeah, fast, depending on the thermal mass of the system. You know, maybe 10 seconds is fine there, right? Flow, very noisy signal, you know, five to 10 seconds. It's, it's highly noisy because of turbulence and pipes and flow, how flow meters work. You know, then you have a big tank that has a level transmitter on it and that tank doesn't change very much. You know, right. hey, you could probably do that one every 10 minutes. You're probably okay, right? So we try to give people you know, some guidance on here's how fast you should do it. And here's a tool that can actually help you tune the tags. And we actually show people how to do it as part of the study. I've got a little YouTube, you know, playlist that's private. I give them access to that. Like here, you can show this to all your people. And I give them a, you know, report that says, here, here's what you need to do. So we really try to take a very thorough look at how much data should you collect and then store? Because this is kind of, you know, what, what you were kind of talking about. And that's where that video literally came from was crap. You can do, it was a theory I had. I felt mm -hmm. like it could, it could happen. Well, here was a case in point. And um, it was nice to actually have the visual picture because it's easy. It's because before I wouldn't have been as convincing with you. you know, right. that, video, that video and those pictures were worth. Oh yeah. And, and oh, trust oh. me, I, I wanted every second, I wanted you to be wrong because it was my, I, I felt I had, I was, um, defending my thesis here, right, um, yeah. with you, and 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 you're right, yeah. and it was interesting. So and we're and, and just one one final point. Like I had a, a customer just last week that said, you know, hey, should I turn compression off because we want better quality data? I said, faster or, or data that you don't compress does not necessarily mean it's better quality. Mm. You know, and and yeah. so so that's I'm a big believer in let's collect all the data you can that actually means something so you can so, actually use. Right, so can you explain what we mean by data compression? So in, in simplest terms, what you're trying to do is eliminate instrument noise, mm -hmm. right? So if I have a temperature sensor, let's say it's an RTD and it has an accuracy of plus or minus one degree, okay? And that temperature sensor reads, reads 100. Then it, the next signal I get is 100.1. Is that legitimate? Maybe not, because it's a plus or minus one degree. Right, you have that right? variance yeah. in accuracy of the sensor. Correct. So, so what you're trying to do is eliminate that and only store data that's real. You want to replicate the trend. You don't want to throw out good data. You know, And that's what everybody thinks compression is. Oh, we, you're just trying to get us to throw out data. 
Now, what I'm trying to do is get you to throw out the stuff that actually doesn't mean anything. Mm. Because, what, because what happens is, is doing AI, doing machine learning, and you go say, oh, I want these thousand tags at a one minute average mm -hmm. for three years. And you store data every half a second, never thrown, you've never compressed any of it. Even if you put this in a cloud system, it's going to take way longer and you're going to have to deal with a, a lot more cleanup than you need to. And so that's why I'm just like, what compression really does is try to store meaningful data, get rid of instrument noise. Okay. Interesting because, you know, I've always looked at it just from my days back in automation. Compression was really a technique that you would do to um, reduce the overall size of the database to try to cut out that noise. But you did it not because you were trying to, you know, foresee use of using that data down the road. It was just strictly for database size. And, and yeah, lossy compression was originally really used for database size. And I, I've heard people argue against it. There are some data historian people who will flat argue against it. Yeah, can you see it? Like I'd rather have the raw and then. There's there's an XOSISOF guy I know. He was an insider. He'd been, he was there like 20 years and he argued against it, you know. But, but then when I started doing some of the videos about compression insight, his comment was, this tool should be shipped with every Pi system. Yeah, and I've never heard of this tool, and I think yeah. it's yeah. I've I've tried to get the word out. That's why we've been trying to do some marketing because because I think everybody ought to. It gives you a visual indication of what what's coming in and what you're actually storing, and you know, and and like we so we did a tuning exercise with the guy that asked me that question last week who wanted to turn compression on. And realistically, we tuned the tags where some of it we think was probably noise, but it was very consistent. You know, it, it was a very kind of a consistent pattern. And so, you know, like we, we might've looked at 4,000 snapshot values coming in raw data points. And in some cases they were archiving a hundred of them and that was too much, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that that's usually a problem with lossy compression is it's incredibly poorly tuned. Right. That's the fatal flaw of it is, no, is nobody goes back and really tunes it well, right? And that's like, what Paul and his company have tried to address. But what we ended up doing was the algorithm, because, because it's an inherently noisy signal in that it moves a lot, it just doesn't move very far. It's a pretty stable signal, but the reading to reading, it's very different. Right. Um, and so what we, you know, the algorithm may have recommended, okay, you got 4,400 snapshots, keep 4,200 of them. <laughs> well, that's a little much. And what we might try to do is shoot for somewhere around 2,000. Okay. And then we would shift on the raw data versus what they would now archive and say, hey, does this follow this trend? Even though we kind of know, you know, this could be some noise, but it's very, it's a very consistent movement. Right. Let's try to get all the peaks and valleys of this and make sure that we capture what at least we think is, is good data integrity here. So that way we're not throwing out stuff. We're just throwing out stuff that doesn't add, add to it. All it does is muddy the waters make a long-term trend not come up very fast or a long data. Well, that's it. It's yeah, it's exactly it. That the, the repercussions down the road of, of not, you know, fine tuning your data, if you will, you're going to see it at every level of analytics, whether you're just graphing it. And I can speak personally to AI and ML side. Um, they say about 80 to 90% of a AL or ML project is just the data preparation side, right? It is doing that. So it's either you do it, you're going to do it eventually. And if you don't do it now, it's going to be harder down the road to do it. Um, so again, I don't want to go too deep, but in, into that, you know, so, uh, the, the software we're talking about that kind of fine tunes the, the compression. So you take, you, you put this in between. So you s somehow get it the raw data and then you give it your compression data and it is doing some internal magic there to figure out, you know, what the, what the best compression rate is, I guess, or whatever, how you define compression, but. Yeah, there, there's two. You have exception, which which actually there there's a, there's kind of a um, there's a component between the control system and the actual data archive mm -hmm. server of, of Pi. It's yeah. called the interface. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you get a new value comes into the interface, and it's just really a dead band. Exception is just a dead band. Ha has this moved enough that I can send it on to see if I need to actually store it long term, right? And so it's, it's kind of this first pass, right? And so it's just a dead band, right? And then, and what it does is, is compression insight will set that to zero. So it allows everything through. So we see everything raw, which what we're finding in the data fidelity studies, 
probably 90 to 95% of the tags are set with zero exception anyway, which I'm like, well, you could be creating a lot more network traffic if you're not careful with that. All right. right. So anyway, that, that comes through and then we see, okay, based on the compression settings you have, and, and there's a, some great videos. I mean, you just go look on YouTube and, and look up what is exception compressing. They have a, a full details video and explains it way better than I could, you know, Right. A guy named Stuart Collins did, did it. And he, he was great. And I always show it to everybody. I like, I don't even try to explain. I'm just like, sure. here, watch yep. it. Yep. And I want to teach the class. I'm like, here, watch this. Um, and so what they're really, you know, trying to do that, that's actually how much has it changed? And then over time, and they have like kind of a window that narrows. So, so what they're looking for is there's a time component along with the dead band that they're trying to use. It's right. They're trying, to, they're trying to optimize it essentially, right? They're trying to absolutely optimize it, you know, because because what you're trying to really do is make sure that you can recreate the actual trend line. Like what did this really look like? You know, without storing just data that doesn't contribute to that. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I mean, data is becoming cheaper, but it's still not free. Right. And it's, it's, it's it. It's not, but yeah. what we always try to tell people and like this, this one that almost filled up their hard drive, they're already seeing when some of their subject matter experts try to pull up a trend for a month, it takes a long time to do that. Right. You know, or when somebody goes, tr goes and tries to do a data pull just into Excel to do some root, something rudimentary, it takes too long. Right. You know, it's like you hit the button, you go, go get a cup of coffee and go to the restroom and come back and you hope it's done. Or some of them, you just go to lunch. Like I'm yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. You, you start to see the light start to dim. Right? Yeah. And, and so, so we're trying to avoid that as much as possible. That that's really the, the thing. So, so that's why we've probably over the last year really kind of focused on data quality because it's the gateway to everything else you want to do with AI, ML machine, you know, uh, multivariate analysis, anything like that. It's, you right. have to have good data. So, so what we're seeing, um, and I say we is in, you know, on behalf of the listeners and the maintenance reliability community is, you know, we're starting to see our condition monitoring data getting paired to, you know, process data or, or operations data, right? And, and it's not uncommon now. And I, and I know Pi, I think, has done some work to be able to pull spectrum data into OSIPI and things like that. I don't think it belongs there personally, but. Um, no, <laughs> um, okay, we agree on something, Jim. <laughs> well, 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 and that's that's why some of the work that you know Chris and I've been talking about, and some of the stuff he did at Alloy, you know, maybe maybe you pick off the bearing frequencies, you know, one exactly. time exactly. Exactly. Yep. What what's that amplitude? You know, because you know the bearing frequency, you know, it doesn't need to. That amplitude doesn't need to change by a lot, and that could be a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a very small contributor to the overall vibration signal. And so, you know, pick off just those things that you need, you know, doing the full spectral analysis is a whole different animal. I, yep. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, it does not belong in pie. Good. Um, yeah. So, so we're taking, we're starting to take, you know, our condition monitoring data and, and compare it to what was happening with the process. And what I picked up on was what you're seeing is the majority of historians are not using compression. So it's more likely uncompressed, I, I would say raw data that they're comparing it to. We're seeing a little bit of both. We see okay. some that are highly overcompressed, and then some that are not compressed nearly enough. And we, we always tell people if you're going to err, err on the side of collecting too much data. You can always right. clean it. You know the problem is, is you can never go back and add data. If you never have it, yeah, you're kind of hosed, right? Right. I guess the the analogy we were talking about off off camera, as you mentioned, was I gave this theory this hypothetical situation of of temperature, and it might not be the right one because temperature generally is slow moving depending on the yeah. the mass you were talking about, but it's, you know, if it's 50 degrees one hour and the next hour was 60 degrees, you assume at that 30 minute mark in between, it was 55. So if you start training, you know, you want to look at temperature and then vibration, vibration, you're taking an online system, you know, very, very frequently. And it says, okay, this vibration, it was at 55 degrees C, but it, it could have spiked up to 80 and went back down in that hour. And you can't see that. Right. And I think that's some of the challenges we might see as we start to, to cross over between process data and, and our operational data and, and our condition monitoring data. Yeah, and, and Chris is really kind of getting me to think about it a little bit differently too. I mean, his his talk and one things you'll hear him say is, you know, there's this there's this dividing line between operations and maintenance, and he's like, let's let's erase it, right? Because what often what we don't know is 
is the process eating the equipment or is the equipment eating the process? You know, it, it's the operations and process people that just throw it over the fence. This is a maintenance problem. Well, maybe how they're running it, right? Or it may be poorly designed. And the data will tell you that in a lot of cases. And, and that's kind of the issue. And I, I, you know, he, I wasn't completely subscribed to this idea, but then when he mentioned it and why it's important, it makes a lot of sense. You know, th those two sides really ought to be working hand in hand. They ought to understand a little bit about each other's domain. Right, right. And I, I think that's a, a brilliant statement is, you know, is the process eating your equipment or is the equipment eating your process? That's not my line. That was his. And I thought it was great. So I, I'm not going to take credit for that one. For sure. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when, when like I think of one, but that's not one. I, you yeah. Know. And it, whoever said it, it, it's, it's, it's great. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not expecting anyone to make any t-shirts or copyright infringe on that. Right. <laughs> but but I, just, I just try to give credit where credit's due. You sure. know, I think, oh, this guy's brilliant. Listen to what he's saying. I'm like, well, I didn't say that. I'm just yeah, well, the smart person told me. That's right. <laughs> that's right, and I, yeah, I think that's like that's great. So I think you know, at the end of the rant, um, you can say that you can collect too much data. You can you can muddy the waters. You can too put too much fog in the air to be able to see meaningful insights through all that data. Well, in that in that particular one, there was some instrument noise. You know, because I, I think if if it's the one I remember you could kind of see the trend line through the middle. You, know, you could, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it was red that was the color of the pen. Mm -hmm. You could kind of see the trend line through the middle, but it right. was so noisy that, you know, it, it would be like really unstable and then a little more stable then a little really unstable and then a little more stable. And what was interesting is when we first saw that, the process engineer was on the phone with us. And I said, this doesn't look right. And so he went and did a little checking and, and he started kind of looking back and he said, yeah, Jim, this, this kind of started happening a couple of months ago, this behavior. We, I see it on the trends, but I didn't see it before. And he, and he told me the date and time. So he said, yeah, we're going to get that instrument checked out. But how often does that just get missed? And, and we were just very fortunate to see it. Right. right. And, you know, so that, so that it was almost so noisy we couldn't even see that you had an instrument noise problem. Right, exactly. You, you can't see the, a tree through the forest type thing, right? Yeah, it, it was very, you know, difficult. And, you know, and the thing is, is it, and this is just like in this environment, you know, right now, like I, I, I talked to a good friend of mine in high school who has completely opposite political beliefs than I do on Monday. We had a two hour long conversation. I, I'd imagine. <laughs> but, but what's interesting is if you really boil down a lot of the things we're concerned about, we have a lot of the same ideas, right? So the fact that you're saying collect all the data, I'm saying, yes, but. Right. You know, I want you to collect more data than you are now, more than likely, but there's a limit, right? And, and, and so it was funny because like you, you made the comment like, oh, this is something we finally agree on. We probably agree on a lot more than you think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's something, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be political here, but I think this is something that would really help us as a country if we learn that, hey, we probably actually agree a lot on a lot more stuff than we think. Sure. If we take the emotion out and just, okay, let's just boil it down to the basic thing. So the basic thing with us, me and you, was we both want our customers to have useful, meaningful data so that we can give them some kind of an insight out of it. Right. That's right. You wanted to with the ML and AI. It's like, well, if you don't have the data, I can't give you the insight. And you're like, I can always clean the data. And, mm -hmm. and I, do, I don't disagree with that. You know, my, my thing is, is well, if, if there's a way to clean the data as it comes in, well, let's do that because that'll make your job easier and you spend less time on the cleansing, more time giving your customer value. That's right. Right. And, and so I, I think that's, well, that's something that, that the yeah. operations and maintenance side even have to kind of come together on, right? Exactly. Understand each other. Understand because that, that compression is all going to come down to application and use case of that data too. How you plan on using that data, right? And I think thinking sure. about how the process people are going to use this, the engineers, the maintenance people are going to use this data is going to um, really. So, so let me ask you this. Why do you think that outboard bearing temperature at 500 degrees, why, why do you think it stayed there for five years? 
Well, I can look at a few things from the automation background, an IO failure, um, some kind of- But uh, no, how, how did it stay there systematically? I'm not talking about any of the hardware or anything, like systematically, like how does it continue to stay there? I don't think it physically can, right? Well, no, but no, what, I guess what I'm getting at is the people side of it. Like, oh, like how, how right. Like, did nobody notice? Because- Yes, nobody noticed. No, no, of course, Nobody's because- using the data. No one, exactly. Or you're relying on threshold alerts saying if, if it got to above this temperature, but you don't say if it remains stagnant at this level for two days, send me alert, right? Because then it just, it's not feasible, right? Well, and, and not only that, what it told me was nobody had ever looked at it to say, and, and to use it in a troubleshooting condition-based maintenance type of an environment. So it's just been left alone. Like literally there's probably not been any human eyeballs on it in the last five years, except for me. That's oh, a good. problem, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I remember, and you might remember, I think you remember, um, you know, back in your Modicon or Walkwell days of, of like doing an RS-485 or Modbus connection to a VFD. And you, you open up the VFD manual and you could map over any point you want, any which way to, there was hundreds of values. So what would I do? I'd map them all in. I would map every single one on. of them in because I don't want to come back because he said, I want to map this one. I'm like, here they all are. I put them in the, the basic settings to, to go to the historian and I walked away, right? And, and then nobody ever looked at it. No ever. one ever looked, right? Yeah. Right. And, you, and, yeah. and, it's, it, and it's crazy how often, you know, that happens. But, you know, we, we see this over and over. I mean, I asked a customer this the other day. I mean, this was... Yeah, the day I came back from vacation, you know, after the holidays, I was doing a presentation. It was for a paper company. And I literally said, okay, if you have 100,000 tags in your, in your historian, how many do you actually put eyeballs in a day? How, how many of those tags do you put eyeballs on a day? And she couldn't answer. And I'm just like, 1%, 2%? Yeah, maybe. You know, and I, I, was, I was telling about another partner of ours, the, uh, Envoy, where you know, hey, well, they're kind of what they're trying to do is look at the other 98% and tell you which ones aren't where they have been over time, right? So they tell you like, hey, you know, they would have flagged that bearing temperature is out of whack. Well, they wouldn't now. They wouldn't right. now. But if it, you know, once that right. signal, like it's running along normally, and then all of a sudden it hits 500, nobody's looking at it. Right, right. They'd say, hey, there's a problem. It's either the sensor or the motor, right? And And so I think, you know, we have to have tools like that where, you know, you have a century kind of looking over that data to tell us, hey, this is exceptional because we're, we, we can't, we, we're all running thinner with less people than we've ever run. Right. And so we have to have automated tools that tell us exceptions to, to operating conditions. That's right. We can't, yeah, just the, you know, that's really what, you know, when people ask me to describe industry 4.0, I go back and describe to me and, and you know, I, I was, with Emerson at the time, so it was quite apparent. But Industry 3.0 was we we started putting, you know, um, sensors and control onto things, right? So you know those those organizations um, specifically that adopted Industry 3.0 better, I think, are in a better position for Industry 4.0 because they put that foundation of that data generation sensors and everything like that. But with that became that additional data, like as I gave the example, VFDs became smart, transmitters became smart, right? Heart, I could start bringing over four variables. Right. Hey, I can bring over your pressure, but I, I can bring the temperature of the electronics inside. You're never going to look at it, but guess what? I'm going to map it over for you. <laughs> I'll stick it in the historian. You can trend that son of a gun, right? Did the same thing. Guilty yeah. of It is right. And that's interesting. And that might be a great, uh, a great poll we can put to our audiences. You know, how much of your data do you think eyeballs are getting on daily? Because that one to 2% might actually be high. I, I don't know. I know. I, I right? And that's scary. Right. And as he said, it, it gives us, I, the, to me, you know, the purpose of data was that warm, cozy blanket at night, knowing that you had the data there in case you needed it for something. The boss said, hey, what happened there? Or, or what did we do? Or something like that, right? You can go to him or her and get that data. At least it's there, right? You hope. Yeah. I, I mean, as we're finding with these studies, yeah, I mean, it may be there. You may not believe it, but it's there. Right. And the last one I have for you is, is and, I, and I openly admit it, it's it's on my to watch list and and uh, we probably already covered it in some context here, but um, you know, you have a video here called, are you sure you know how much data you are collecting? Presumably from, from into your historian, right? Um, well, 
I guess that, that goes back to you can have too much data, but you know, what's the premise of, of that video? What are you trying to get across there? I mean, it, a, a lot of it is, is this data fidelity idea, you know, because we're seeing some companies that are storing data in a minute and they don't know it. There's, we're seeing some companies in a similar industry storing data at a half a second and they don't really know it and they don't know what it's costing them. Right. Most people don't know, you know, and, and, and what we find so often, a lot of these pie systems in, in a lot of these companies have been around for a really long time. You know, the one that was a half a second actually was a fairly new install, believe it or not. But some of these have been around a long time. And so the people that put it in, you know, back in that time, there was probably more people around the facility. There's more people that studied like, well, okay, how does this need to go in? You know, how do we need to do the data collection? What, what should all the settings be? What should the zero and span of the instrument be? All that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, they may have had three, four, five administrators since then. Now right. somebody comes and says, I need a new tag. What do they do? Oh, here's one that looks similar. Copy, paste, That's change. Right. Absolutely. Save. Yep. Okay. Done. What, what do you know about it? You don't. So okay. yeah, exactly. The, and, the, and so people don't know, like they literally do not know what, do you, what is even coming in. And sometimes when we show them, they're highly disappointed. Mm. And, and this is the reason why we started doing it, um, you know, it is for that. I think we've done four or five of them now. And, and so far I've been the one doing, I mean, I'll teach my people as we, you know, kind of scale that up as a service, but it's been really interesting, you know, and then I have another customer, you know, cause we, I think you had mentioned one off camera about the, you know, advised versus pulled, you know, the, look at it only on change versus keep asking the question. And we had a customer that we saw a val or a flow was zero. Eight days later, it was at like 8.6 and it was like million pounds or something like that per hour or something like that. It was, it wasn't just 8.6. Right. Right. And, and what we saw was a diagonal line straight yep. Draw, drawn with the ruler. Yep. Drawn with the ruler. Yeah. And you're like, and I'm like, okay, I don't believe that that flow changed like that. And they're like, yeah, this is a problem we had. And they're like, it, it, and it was funny when I figured out what it was and we were actually able to, to fix it. The guy wrote us back an email, one of the operations guys, and he said, I feel a tear running down my cheek. You know, he was, <laughs> yeah. he was being a little sarcastic. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he was very pleased because, like because he's like, I feel like there's a curtain lifted. Like I knew this was wrong but I don't know what to do. Like, well, this is what the system tells me. And, and I think a lot of times today, almost every PI administrator we meet has multiple other jobs. They're, they're not just supporting the PI system, they're supporting lots of other stuff. Either they're on the IT side and they support email yeah, and yeah. all different other kinds of things, you know, their MES system and everything else, or they're a process control person who has four other jobs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the problem is, is more times than not, people just don't know what they have or even the basis for what they're collecting and why. And, right. and that's why we try to educate people. And that's why I've done so many videos on it because every time we, we go down the path that we start building analytics for people and start trying to give them more intelligence, you know, like we'll, we'll try to do utilizations like real time material utilization so they can look at costs. Like we have a customer, they're trying to figure out how much positive or negative they are on their raw material usage. Well, if the flow, if you can't believe the flow meter or you can't believe that tank level, then our calculations really don't mean anything. They're, they're not gonna be accurate. Right. And we, we saw one, there's one that I showed them and, and I show it to a lot of people is they had one of their boiler, the main, main boiler steam flow. They, they had like 500 raw signals come in. They were storing two of them. And it, it, where it drew the line, you know, I drew a ruler on the, like the, where the red line was, the archive was, and the green line where the snapshot was. 
And I'm like, this is like 2.8 units. Well, this is in a thousand pounds per hour. So that's 2,800 pounds per hour that this thing is off. Now I do a, a totalizer on that and you see the area under this curve, right? Right. Yep. I'm really going to get the wrong answer. That's right. And you're asking us to do real-time utilization. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. You have to get it right. And, right. and so, so we always end up back here anyway. And, and so that's why, you know, Dave really pushed me. He's like, you need to get this out because this is fundamental. Mm -hmm. and and nobody wants to go take the time everybody's like oh yeah we'll just we'll clean it up later yeah it's okay it's okay well and then they get frustrated they go do an mi or an, an ml or ai project and they're really frustrated because their data sucks right and so we were right back at that's it exactly, that's why, yeah, I, that's why I, mean, I started doing them because people just they didn't understand that. that that's right and i think you know the the analogy of the cut and paste of hey this is a similar data points, I'm going to use this is, is, is just reality because what we saw, and I'll go back to, to automation here when tuning a control loop, the PID settings, I think the studies, like it was like 80 or 90% of like the parameters in a PID loop that control open that valve start whatever it is, are the default values. Right. And it's just crazy. And right? that's why the operator throws it manual and says, I can do this better. And you can, or she can. Control. That's right. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's just, it's just the, that's the, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's great. I think, you know, you, you, you've, you definitely changed my mind on, on, you know, you can have too much data with an exception, right. Is, is you, you can't have too much of the right data. No, but what you no. don't want to do is, is you want to have the, um, the right data coming in as early as possible into your system. So that when you start to use it for graphing, and I think you have to, as I said, you got to think about the applications being used for, because, you know, we can, We'll, we like a lot of our AL or ML projects started with offline data. So we would scrub that data once and it was offline, right? We didn't touch the story or anything like that. So it's a one-time, it costs money to do it. I think the case resources scrub the data would do this, but it still doesn't solve the problem of now bringing that because you obviously you want AI ML online. And, and so, you know, the effort upfront is going to be worth the return down the end as you start to consume analytics, whether it's a human or machine learning or AI. Yeah, there's actually an interesting story. I remember reading um, a good friend of mine. Um, he was working in a paper mill. He's, he's no longer, or he's working corporately for a paper company. And they were, they were doing this. They, they were actually, I think, doing Azure ML uh, on some problems in their batch digesters. And they did. They offline scrubbed all the data and got it right. They found some correlations. They found some things. Problem was when they put it back, when they tried to put it online, they couldn't do that scrubbing. That's right. So they didn't get the same answer. Yep. And, that's it, and, exactly it, be, it. and it became a problem. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I'm such a big believer in let's try to scrub it as it comes in because we're going to need to do it anyway at some point. It's got to be right. And and I, I see a lot of people out there in you know in this IIoT world. You know, as bad as I hate those terms and some of the terms we're using. And, and they don't necessarily have to work with the data. They're more, maybe they're more on the SCADA side or the MES side and they'll, they'll preach and they have an audience and they'll preach. Oh, you need to store all this data, you know, and, and same thing, half a second, you know, pub sub, you know, through MQTT or whatever yeah, protocol, yeah. you know, OPC UA, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not sure you guys really know what you're preaching because you haven't had to work with the data to go solve somebody's problem. You know, right. That's what we. That's what I've done for the last five years, every day, and I've got three other people that work with me, and this is what we do every day. Mm -hmm. And be careful what you're asking for. That's right. That's right. All right, Jim. Well, it's been a, a pleasure. I took I took a lot away from this. Where could our listeners find out more information? <laughs> uh, read some of your. Well, I should say, watch some of your videos. Read some of your articles. Yeah, so they can come to our website. It's just industrialinsightinc.com. And, and it's so funny, everybody calls us industrial insights. They put right. the I, I, I did in my notes, I literally crossed off the S. I, you know what? You know what's funny is, is, is so many customers refer to us that way. I'm like, gosh, I, I misnamed our company. Right. You know, like I should just put an S on it. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. You know, but but it's just a singular industrialinsightinc.com. Um, there's a blog page. Um, some of my videos are posted there. 
Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of old blogs. I, I've been blogging for the last probably five plus years. So I, I've got a lot of writings um, there as well. Um, our YouTube channel, just search Industrial Insight uh, on YouTube mm -hmm. and uh, you'll see some stuff, you know, out there. Um, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put a link LinkedIn, in, in. Yeah, of LinkedIn, course, that's, that's how I found you. Yeah, I mean, I'll, look for me or look for Industrial Insight where, where we post all the time. Yeah, I'll put the I'll put some links in the show notes and I'll, I'll share some of your your videos just so it gets out there in circulation and our listeners will find it if they want it. They're they're tech savvy. They'll they'll hunt you down if they want to. Um, yeah. And I, I really encourage you to uh, to watch these videos and, and if you have any questions or disagree with Jim, start bugging them. Yeah, that's that's fine. You know, I, I a lot of times I put those out because I'm trying to drive a discussion. You know, right. sometimes you actually kind of want people to disagree with you. You know, and people have changed my mind. You yeah, know, of course. There, there are certain bedrock things I'm finding, you know, that I, I will argue with somebody about and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to the hill. I mean, this is a hill I'll die on. You know, the, the data right. quality one is, is one that I will yeah. I will argue until I'm blue in the face just because of, of what I've experienced. But, um, you know, I would be willing to bet there's a practitioner or two out there that would tell me I'm wrong and can and can give me good, valid proof. And it mm -hmm. may change. It may either soften my view or or change it slightly. So right. I don't I don't mind the dis debate and discourse. I, I'm just trying to get the discussion started. Exactly. And, and and sometimes you know it's funny. I try to be very real on my videos. I, I I don't do it to be sensational. I could probably get a lot more viewers if I was a little more sensational. Um, I try not to be that way. I just want to be real with everybody. Mm -hmm. But if you see me rant about something, yeah you can kind of take it to the bank is probably a problem out there. And, and I'm trying not to be sensational. I just try to educate, you know, but if you see me getting sensational and I'm passionate about it, there's probably a reason. Right. And, and that's, and that's okay to debate me. I have no problem with it. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks so much for, for your time, Jim, really appreciate it. And uh, it was great, great chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you.